I don't know about you, but my heart is full. Having listened to Berto and Ray Ray, Cheryl, it takes a ton of courage to do that. And that this can be the kind of community where it's okay to do that. It's a tremendous gift. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling really good. Um, if you're new to Pillar or just checking out Faith, we've been walking our way through the Gospel of Mark over the last several weeks. The, the word gospel means good news, and that's what it's meant to be. The, the life of Jesus, the people he met, the things he did, the death he died, and the resurrection that happened, it's meant to be good news for the whole world and for each of us, for every one of us who gather on a Sunday morning, um, maybe with our own sets of questions, maybe with a deep sadness, maybe with something coming this week, it's on the calendar, but you don't know how it's going to go. This whole thing is meant to be good news. And in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus tells these stories. They're called parables. I want you to listen to one of them with me. And then if there's time, and it's really cold outside, so I figure there'll be plenty of time to stay warm in here. I'd just like to offer two things about the parable and then one thing from it. Does that sound Okay. He began to teach beside the sea. Such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into the boat on the sea and sat there, while the whole crowd sat beside the sea on the land. He taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said, Listen, a sower goes out to sow. Some of the seed falls on the path, and the, bird, the birds came and, and ate it up. Now, some of the seed fell on rocky ground, where there was little soil, and it sprang up quickly because there was no depth of soil, and the sun rose, and it was scorched because it had no root, it withered away. Some seed fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it out, and it yielded no grain. Some seed fell into the good soil, and it produced grain. It Growing up, increasing, yielding 30, 60, 100 fold. Let anyone with an ear listen. When he was alone, those who were around him, along with the 12, asked him about the parables. He said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, Everything comes in parables, in order that they may indeed look, but not perceive. Indeed listen, but not understand. That they may not turn again and be forgiven. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? 
then how will you understand all of the parables? The sower sows the word. Some falls on the path, and Satan immediately comes and takes it away. Others' seed falls among the rocky ground. These are the ones who, who receive the word immediately with joy, but trouble and persecution arise on account of the word, and they fade away. Other seed falls among the thorns. These are the ones who receive the word, but the cares of the world and the lures of wealth and the desire for other things choke it out and it yields nothing. Other seed falls into the good soil. These are the ones who embrace it and accept it and bear fruit yielding 30, 60, and 100 fold. He said to them, is a lamp brought in and put under a bushel or under a bed and not put on the lampstand? Everything hidden will be disclosed, and everything secret will come to light. Let anyone who has an ear to hear listen. Pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give is the measure you'll get, and more will be given you. Those who have, more will be given, and those who have nothing, even what they have, will be taken away. The kingdom of God is like someone who scatters seed on the earth goes to bed and rises day and night, and the seed produces and sprouts up. He knows not how. The earth produces itself, first the stalk, then the grain, then the full head in the grain. And when the grain is ripe, he comes in with a sickle because the harvest has come. He said to them, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, and what parable can we use? It's like a mustard seed. The smallest of all the seeds when it's sown on the earth, but when it is sown, it grows up and becomes one of the greatest of the shrubs, putting forth its branches so that the birds of the air may nest in it. He spoke the word to them in parables, in a way that they could hear. He spoke nothing to them except the parables, but he explained them in private to his disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's that's the Gospel of Mark. It's chapter 4, verses 1 through 34. It's this, anybody heard this parable before? If you grew up near the church, around the church, or saw it on flannel graph, uh, I'm guessing the sower and the seed and the soil. I just want to show you, offer you two things about the parable and then one thing from it. Uh, first, about the parable is the simple fact that Jesus speaks in parables. The disciples notice it too. This is verse 10. When he was alone, those who were around him, along with the twelve, asked him about the parables. Why parables? In a world that's hard enough and things are complicated enough, just tell us straight, Jesus. Just shoot straight. Just tell us like it is. Why do you have to go on telling stories? Jesus tells parables because if he told us straight, we would revolt. If he, told us, if he told us about the kingdom just as it is, we would rebel. Or we would laugh him off as the crazy man in the boat on the sea. The kingdom is so stunningly, staggeringly different than any reality we can comprehend. He has to tell us in stories. Uh, have you seen the, anybody seen the movie A Few Good Men? Just me and Jana? That's it? 
Uh, you know that Colonel Jessup is on trial. Tom Cruise is uh, asking him questions, and Colonel Jessup says to Tom Cruise, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Remember that scene? It's like, you can't handle the kingdom. If I were to tell you about it in all of its glory, you would wither and die. So he tells us stories. The kingdom. The kingdom, which is made up of little ones. This idea of growing into maturity is actually sort of contrary to the kingdom. Let the little ones come to me. The kingdom where made up of the meek and the hungry and the sad and the hurting, the kingdom, where you're invited to give up of yourself. Actually, the goal of the kingdom is to lose yourself. Who says that? Actually, to die. That's the kingdom. The kingdom where the last will be first. So stop trying to run ahead of everybody. Stop trying to get out ahead as if somehow that makes you better. Here, let me, let me open the door. Let me help. What do you need? That's the kingdom. Where the king is grace and the economy is mercy and the law is love. That's the kingdom. There's at least two cautions I want to offer about this, this vision of the kingdom. Uh, first of all, we are inundated all the time. Anybody who's alive now is inundated by a totally contrary kingdom. Have you heard me mention the name Leslie Newbegin? He refers to it as the reigning plausibility structure of the modern world. And we're all in it. We can't break it. We can't shake it. It's just the way it is. It's a part of our lives, and we don't get to dismiss ourselves from it. But that very kingdom of this world actually runs quite contrary to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of the world, wealth equals worth, might equals right, sex equals satisfied. Does any of this sound familiar? Autonomy is God, self-expression is worship. Does any of this sound familiar? We can't just remove ourselves from it, but we can immerse ourselves in the real kingdom, the true kingdom, the kingdom of God. That's the first caution. Here's the second one. When, so Jesus tells parables because if he were to tell us straight, we'd revolt. So he tells us these parables about the kingdom as a way of critiquing, actually. And most of the time, when Jesus is critiquing in the Gospels, you know who he's critiquing? This is going to sound great to all of you who showed up at church on Sunday morning. He's critiquing the religious. He doesn't speak in parables so that the sad and the hurting and those who are confused and wondering would be left out. He speaks in parables so that the religious who think they have it all figured out won't get in the way. So that the religious who think they have all of the answers and know everything just like this which is not an invitation to back off of conviction, but rather an invitation to hold your convictions with humility. Hold your convictions in accordance with the way of the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? That was not particularly responsive. <laughs> That's the first thing I want you to He speaks in parables because if he told us straight away, we would not handle it. Uh, here's the second thing about the parable. I, I listen to these parables, not just these, this story of the sower and the seed and the soil in Mark 4, but kind of all of the stories in the gospel. And there's a bunch of times where I'm like, what are you talking about? 
I mean, this one, first he, the sower and the seed and the soil, and then he starts talking about a lamp. Why did he switch metaphors? And then to those who have, more will be given. That doesn't sound right. And those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Really? And then, the, then the stuff about the mustard seed. And then the guy who scatters, it's, what are you talking about, Jesus? I, I, I hear the, I mean, I can read the commentaries and make up a few good suggestions that'll get me through a Sunday morning, but in the quietness of my own living room, I'm like, what is going on? And then Jesus says, everything comes in parables in order that they may indeed look but not perceive. And I start to think, is that me? That they may indeed listen but not understand. Are you talking about me? That they may not turn again and be forgiven. What is that? Andale began the service, whoever is thirsty. Who, now we get that they may not turn again. And be, what is going on? Anybody else feel this way? And then we get just a brief glimpse of hope. It's verse 34. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. He didn't leave them wallowing. He didn't leave them wondering. He explained, not just explaining a tricky story, but the way of the kingdom is the God who actually comes to us. That's the kingdom. He doesn't leave us wondering, but actually comes to us. The infant child become crucified king, now resurrected Lord. He, He makes the way to us. All of our journeying and all of our wandering and all of our trying to understand and make sense of it all is actually only met by the one who meets us where we are. That's the kingdom. Jesus says, to you has been given the secret, the mystery, which is actually kind of permission, you know. (laughs) It is kind of mysterious and complicated and complex. To you has been given the secret. Jesus is the secret. Jesus, is the, Jesus holds in himself the mysterious ways of the kingdom. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is life, and in his life we have abundant life. So if, if the gospels and the kingdom and the Christian faith leave you sort of with a headache, wondering what is going on, stay close to Jesus. I had the privilege on Thursday of uh, spending some time with Stan and Ruth Kleiss. How many people remember that name? Stan, and R- Stan is 91 years old, uh, was baptized in this sanctuary in 1929. Try that on for a second. That was before the internet. <laughs> They've been married for 70 years. They were janitors here for a little while. He served as an elder uh, at some epoch in Pillar's history. Uh, 91, health has given way. Um, he's battling a little bit of dementia. Uh, she really can't see anymore. They said to me once, uh, he said to me, I'm her eyes, she's my clarity. <laughs> Isn't that just the most beautiful thing ever? Uh, so his health has given way. I got a Actually, a text on Thursday that it looked like the end was near. Uh, so I made my way over to Appledorn to be with Stan and Ruth. He was laying in the bed. She was sitting in a lazy boy next to him. I was so heartbroken. 
How do you pull apart 70 years? It's more like losing an appendage than a spouse, you know? She was telling me about the journey and their lives, and she just kept talking about, he's such a good man. He was such a good man. Their commitment to the church and their love, his love for Christ. And I'm thinking to myself, 91 years later, like the ashes of World War I were still being swept up. The Great Depression was like not even named yet. All that they've experienced, all that he's known, and they want to talk about Jesus? They want to talk about faith? That's the kingdom. Stay close to Jesus. He's the one. He's the way. Ours is the faith that says, your ways, O oh God, are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are greater than our thoughts. Ours is the faith that says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? We can be honest about the fact that it's complicated and mysterious and we don't have it all figured out. So stay close to Jesus. You doing okay? One last thing from the parable. Uh, you've heard it. A sower goes out to sow, and some on the path, and some on the rocky ground, some among the thorns, some among the good soil. And we, you've probably heard, have you heard sermons on this parable? Were they good? How, in comparison, how, how is this one? You, you know, you've you leave the parable and you're wondering about, okay, where are the rocks in my life and what do I need to, and where are the weeds that I should pull and all of it's good. You should take inventory of your life and your life with God and life of faith. I'm just struck by the fact that it's a farming metaphor. It's an agricultural metaphor, which on one level is like a particularly sophisticated missiological move by Jesus, but on another level, uh, farmers, they, you know, they could cultivate the soil and they could plant the seed and they probably didn't have much irrigation then. They were utterly dependent. It's a story about dependence, actually. But Jesus even says it when he's kind of sort of interpreting or maybe sort of telling a different parable. Someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. <laughs> you can do some things, but actually... You're utterly dependent on the living God. That's the kingdom. It's not to say you, you live a complacent life, you don't do anything, you don't participate, but it is to say we are far more dependent on God than we like to imagine. We, we like to manage life. We like to control our lives. Control is a joke. I mean, you think you know what you're doing for lunch today. You planned it. All you have is now. Utterly dependent on the living God. I'm not gonna, this isn't a sermon where I'm going like to ask you to go do anything. I just want you to get in touch in yourself with your utter need for the living God. Your utter dependence on God. Kristen and I, I was, it was the summer before my senior year in seminary. I didn't want to be a pastor. Have I mentioned this to you? Uh, I, I went to seminary not wanting to be a pastor. It wasn't until the summer before my senior year that I even actually really considered the idea. 
in order to graduate from seminary, we needed 400 hours of full-time service in the church. So basically 10 weeks of full-time work. So Kristen and I moved to northwest Iowa, uh, to the corn and bean fields of that glorious state. And we served the Bethel Reformed Church. I can remember sitting in the living room window looking out at the tractors going back and forth, back and forth, the, the storms rolling in over the Iowa countryside. It was so beautiful. Uh, the church there didn't have a pastor, uh, so 24-year-old John shows up Sunday morning, Sunday night, preaches, because they did church twice on Sundays. You, you, you heard of this phenomenon? People would go to church in the morning and at night, and they were different services. And then all week long, I'd visit people, go to Safals, that's the way they pronounce it out there, Safals, to see people in the hospital, I'd go to George and Little Rock, all of these little Iowa towns, uh, met the Stubies out there and the DeBoers, it was absolutely, we'd come home at the end of a day and there would be, I'm not kidding, piles of meat wrapped in butcher paper on the porch. And I'm just naming that now as something you might want to consider. <laughs> cartons of eggs right off the farm, actually still warm. Amazing. Uh, the Sunday evening service, uh, I mean, so the population of the town where the church was, the sign read as you entered, 152. <laughs> so, you know, the church wasn't that big. And Sunday night, there was maybe 15 people, and they all sat in the back. Why do you all start in the back? So I, I, I just moved to the back. So I'd preach from the center aisle in the back, the back five rows. Uh, the fr we'd, it would, we'd begin the service with a hymn sing. Um, I would launch us with one, you know, some of the greats. I, I selected them early in the summer, one great hymn to start the service for every Sunday evening of the summer. Holy, 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 how great thou art. You know the hymns. So we'd, we'd begin with one of them, and then Gertrude Timmer, she was sitting in the very last of the last rows, off to my left, she would shout out, 772. You know, I didn't know this hymn. It was Showers of Blessing. Do you know the hymn? Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. The first time I sang it, I thought, this hymn is terrible. <laughs> it's so bad. Second Sunday evening service, there we are, the ten of us, and I'm in the back, and Gertrude Timmer, 772, and everyone sings it with a straight face, showers of blessing, showers of, and then the third Sunday, and there we are again, Gertrude Timmer, I try not to make eye contact in hopes <laughs> that she won't make the recommend, 772, and there we go, it's like the Handel's Messiah, showers of blessing. They're going on. I had a chance to visit with Gertrude towards the end of the summer. Our beautiful farm, red barn, just, just the way you imagine it. Chickens running around and hogs. It's kind of smelled. Farmers called it the smell of money. <laughs> uh, soybeans and corn all over for miles. Uh, I asked her about the hymn. I said, Gertrude, why, why do you ask us to sing that terrible hymn? I don't think I quite put it that way. I think I said something like, what do you love about 772? And she looked at me like I had lost my mind. Pastor, the right amount of rain at the right time is the difference between the red and the black. If God doesn't act, we're done for. You think you have control. 
you, you live like it's all up to you. The kingdom says God acts. God moves. We are utterly dependent on the living God. We're not going to sing showers of blessing because <laughs> it is truly just terrible. It's just... <laughs> but we did sing... You are my fullness, firm and steady to lavish mercy at the ready, despite my wandering, despite my weakness, unrelenting strength and goodness. You are my courage, truth and wisdom, guiding hand and purest vision, hope and fear and joy and victory, endless song, hope and yearning. I'm breaking, you're building, I'm empty, you're filling. In my silence, you're speaking, in my dying, ever living, we are utterly dependent on the living God. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm just going to invite you to recognize Amen? And then at the table, our utter dependence meets the lavish generosity of a God who comes to us. That's the kingdom. If you believe that Jesus is Lord and you acknowledge him as Savior, you're welcome at this table. If you're not at that place in life and faith, I I cannot even begin to tell you how grateful I am that you're here. This is not an exercise in exploiting anybody or making you feel uncomfortable. You're, you're welcome to come forward and rather than taking the bread and dipping into the cup like some will do, uh, you're welcome just to greet those who are serving at stations. There'll be two stations in the front for the front half of the sanctuary, two on the sides for the back half, and then one in the narthex for those in the balcony. If those who are prepared to serve communion could join me here.